Welcome to Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We're two best friends entering the world of true crime. We'll be sharing the stories of some of the worst and most horrific murder cases in history with the help of professional criminologists. And we're taking you along for the ride. In this episode, we're looking into the truly horrific case of Danilo Restivo. This one is brutal, guys, just to warn you. So do what you will with that warning. I like it when the warning comes in early. (laughs) Right, we'll do the catch up in just a sec. But like just before that, (laughs) this is going to be really bad, guys. (laughs) Don't want to lull you in to be disappointed. Because you're like, oh, I can't listen now. Yeah, I'm quite excited for it, though, because... so we've had some fucking terrible ones this season, no, haven't we? So we were like, for it to come that early, how bad is it? We've already had some boiling people and putting them down the toilet. This one's oh bad God. and weird. But anyway, how are you? Yeah, I'm okay, mate. How are you? Yeah, um, I have fallen in love with white bread. <laughs> That's. So- I know it doesn't sound very interesting, is- right? Very but mediocre. <laughs> I know, I know. So, you know, we are the queens of the mundane, you know, crane I chat. Love it. Um, what else have we talked about? Well, I'm about to talk to you about pigeons. Oh, okay, so. cool. But can I just, I just <laughs> yeah, want to talk about... Let's get the white bread out the way first. Away. So, um, my friend was talking about how she was having, she missed out on some bacon sandwiches at the weekend. She was basically upstairs doing a makeup. She was staying at her boyfriend's house and, uh, her parents' house, sorry, and because she was doing her makeup, they didn't think to make her a bacon sandwich. And I was like, that's that well so rude. rude. I know. But then I was like, did a Homer Simpson and went, mm, bacon. So dropped her off, went to M&S because it was close by, bought some bacon. And then I thought, oh, you know, I, I'm going to buy a loaf of white bread. I never buy white bread because we're always told that white bread is bad for you. You should eat brown or wholemeal. So every time I'm do, I'm faced with a bread decision, subconsciously, I'm just like brown because I know that white's bad. It's like white is bad. Yeah. So I was feeling off the rails. I thought I'm going to buy some white bread. Go wild. Bought it. It was so soft. I actually had an internal <laughs> narration where my brain went, wow, this is like angel's bread. <laughs> Because it was so soft. Do you know what? I can relate. Because um, I was having this conversation with my uncle like a few a few weeks ago. It was ages ago, actually. But like where you have those days where actually literally all you need is is a stack of toast. There is no amount of toast in the world that will be enough toast. I know. And it, <laughs> and it, and it really does need to be that sort of like slightly cheaper. Yes. Like white bread. And, and yeah, and no amount of toast. And I'm, my hand is getting higher and higher. It's above my head right now. But like that stack of toast and that, and that some days that's just the only thing that will make everything okay. It's some buttery toast. Yeah. And then he got deep and he went, um, it's probably because of bread day when we were kids. And my mum was like, oh yeah. Cause that was like the time they used to make bread with my grandmum and then they'd all get to have a slice oh. like, um, on a Sunday when she made the bread for the week. Cute. You'd be like, oh, bread day. But also, I'm just because just I'm a fat fuck, <laughs> I just want to eat toast all day. <laughs> all day. So I had bacon sandwich. It was brilliant. And I had bacon sandwich the next day. Red or brown? Uh, red. Red. I hate brown sauce. 
First day it was, ah, no, actually, I didn't have any ketchup, so I had sweet chilli jam. That's terrible. No, it's not. I disagree. All right. Well, I don't. I think it was a good decision <laughs> because the next day I had it with cream cheese and chilli jam. Oh, shit. Yeah, that actually sounds pretty good. Yeah, it was. Um, I'm not proud of this at all, but like one pregnancy thing that I really had, like considering I've been vegetarian for years and I was like, Baker, and like I saw a bacon sandwich on the TV and I was like, Baker, I really... Like, I can't stop thinking about a bacon sandwich. Please, can we I have one? I bet he jumped for joy. He did. He was so happy. Um, and he got the, like, really soft white rolls, like the bakery <sighs> rolls. Oh, my God. Yeah, and then I was like, I want avocado with it. And I was like, you fucking bougie fuck. Like, this baby's, like, going to come out with a beard and a beard <laughs> hat. Like, <laughs> a craft beer in his yeah. hand. <laughs> yeah, and she's going to be like, just call me Rain. <laughs> I'll be like, her no. Hand, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know what her name's going to be yet, but it's not going to be Ray. No. We've gone way off topic. Anyway, carry on with the bread story. Just really quickly, I tweeted this, basically saying I always subconsciously bit brown because we've been told that it's bad for you, white breaders. I've been wasting so much of my life. And then people were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I had a few people reply to my Twitter saying, they bleach white bread and it's full of salt and sugar. And I'm like, give a fuck. <laughs> That's why it tastes so good then. <laughs> yeah. Like, give a fuck. Pooping <laughs> on my parade. And they bleach they that. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> give a shit. Obviously. I know. Like, it, it lasts for two weeks. That's not natural. No, <laughs> I'm aware that it's bad, but it tastes great. Yeah. But that was my story uh, of bread. Nothing else has really been going on. So over to you. Tell me your pigeon story. Um, well, we actually kind of experienced the pigeon story together earlier, but um, no, it was just at the end of your road. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed. Like, I got road rage against one pigeon last week when we were coming oh, to the you studio. Did, yes, you did. Because this pigeon, pigeon wouldn't fucking move, right? And Helen's pulling right up to it. And I'm like, pigeon! <laughs> and it just wouldn't move. It just stood there being all like, Hurr! and I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> right. And then, and it did it to me on the way in. I said to, to her, road. calm down, it's a yeah. pigeon. And I'm like, but just get out of the fucking way. Like, it's a big car. Move. <laughs> I don't trust them, right? Pigeons give you this look, yeah? And they're all like, and I'm like, I don't trust it. Stop looking at me. Don't come near me. Half of you have manky feet. I don't want anything to do with you. Aww. Yeah? And they do this whole like, oh, I'm just a pigeon. Like, they're, they're plotting something, yeah? And I feel like this about cows as well. Like, if anybody was going to, like, band together to, like, in, in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, it's dolphins. And they're all like, oh, so long and thanks for all the fish. It's not going to be dolphins. It's going to be cows or pigeons. Mark my words. I think it's going to be seagulls. Nope. They're, they work for the pigeons at best. Although I have seen a seagull eat a pigeon once. So um, maybe you have a point there. Anyway, the pigeons. Right. And I'm coming into your road today. There's fucking six of them. Same place. None of them move. They all just stare at me. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm in a car. I will run you down. Move out of my way. And it's to the point where I'm about to get out of the car and be like, pigeons! <laughs> this is escalating. Like, move! And then they all just sort of like flap off in one synchronised movement. They own the neighbourhood. Who told them to do that? Right, which one's the ringleader? I don't know. Yeah. And um, the same thing happened, but you didn't slow down this time. So they did move. I didn't notice them. Well, you didn't I, notice I was too busy in conversation. See, I, I just let 
I don't let the pigeons bother me that much. Well, I'm fully expecting that next week mm. I'm gonna I'm not gonna be able I'm gonna have to be like, mate, you have to meet me at the end of the road because they're they're not letting me down. <laughs> Because the pigeons, they're all wearing leather jackets now. They've got little earpieces and they're like, fuck you, Danny Howard, we're coming for you. They know now. You put it into the public. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway, let's, uh, should we go in with this brutal story? Yeah, I have just unwrapped a Frutella, really. So I don't know if you can still hear it. I'm sorry, producer Alex is going to hate me for this. You step away from the microphone. Well, I've been unwrapping it this whole time. Just really slowly. Um, Stealth Frutella, but I'm just... I can pop. hear that. Go put it in. I'm just no, gonna pop that not in. near the mic. I'll I'll go and do some talking. So get your slabbery mouth away from there. Okay. I'm just gonna lean down quietly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's set the scene. It's late afternoon on November twelfth, two thousand and two, in Richmond Park, Bournemouth. Police have just had a phone call from a terrified fourteen-year-old boy and his little 11-year-old sister. Devastatingly, they have just returned home from school to find their mum is dead. The woman is a local seamstress, 48-year-old Heather Barnett. Her children had discovered her body lying on the bathroom floor, horribly mutilated. When we look at the the mutilation of Heather's body, both of her breasts have been cut off. She's got some hair in her hand. There's a glove um, down by her underwear. Um, So what's happened here is that this offender has completely humiliated his victim. He's taken the the very kind of symbols of her femininity, her her breasts, and taken that away. So this this is a very distinct signature. It's an incredibly unique thing. When police get to the scene, they find Heather's children being comforted by a neighbour. What no one knows yet is that they are being consoled by the very man who murdered their mum, (gasps) Danilo Restivo. No! It would take another eight years and the discovery of another body 1,400 miles away to finally bring Heather Barnett's killer to justice. We never left that case. Even as the years progressed, You worked long, hard days, and you were always thinking about that case, you know, about the children, about the horrific scene, and about that always, the ongoing risk that this man, who was walking about, driving about Bournemouth, presented to the public. This this man is truly evil. He prepared some time in advance to kill this lovely single lady who's bringing up two lovely children. He killed her in the most horrific manner, mutilating her body, and knowing the most evil part of him is he knew that the people that would find their mother mutilated in the worst possible way was her two young children. Are you telling me that somebody who could do that is not evil? So let's go back to the start. Danilo Restivo was born on April 3rd, 1972 in Sicily, Italy, before his family moved to a small town called Potenza in southern Italy. Criminologist Dr Elizabeth Yardley, of course she does, knows about his childhood. 
Potenza, which is a small Italian city, um, which is, is quite a way away from all the other cities, not just geographically, but, but also culturally. This is a city where the church is very influential. His, his family were amongst the great and good of Potenza, so he grew up in, in quite a privileged position. His family were quite powerful. His father was the, the director of the, the local branch of the, the National Library. Um, he was, was quite an influential figure within the local community. If you would say his father's name, everybody would know who that was. But despite his family's status, Danilo wasn't very popular with the other kids. He was a complete outsider and he was bullied relentlessly. And whilst a lot of kids go through bullying and come out the other side all right... He didn't. (laughs) He didn't. I just was like thinking, do we? (laughs) (laughs) Are any of us completely unscathed? (laughs) Danilo used this as his opportunity to make his own rules in life. He was probably pretty severely bullied. Um, To get that far. Yeah. Yeah. So status can't buy you friends. It's interesting. Sorry, I was just like when you're his his father was really high up in the library. <laughs> I, was, I was expecting to say like in the church or like in the local government or something. But he's a library man. Mm. I didn't. Okay, that's the thing. Now we know. Now we know. In 1993, now 21, Danilo was harboring a crush on a young girl in town called Elisa. Claps. She was only 16. She wasn't interested in Danilo. Um, he wasn't really that much of a looker. Um, but he was he was a bit obsessed with her. He would chase her around town and he would creep her out by trying to talk to her all the time. He just not nice, not okay, not giving off the good too vibes much. too much. Right. Yeah. So she made it clear to her friends that she wasn't interested in Danilo. Um but she did agree to meet him at a local church to confront him in person and tell him to leave her alone. Which you would say was a safe space. In a church. A church. You'd hope so. You'd hope so, right? Elisa was seen entering the church with Danilo, but was never seen alive again. No. Oh, that's such a brave thing for like a 16 year old girl to do as well. Although I think at 16, you sort of get have this little like invincible complex. No, but I think in terms of like emotional maturity to go and feel like you can can, can, like go and confront someone in person about them making you feel uncomfortable and that you're not like, that's what I mean. It's a mature thing to do. It is. It's very brave. Like, because that's an uncomfortable situation at the best of times, let alone being 16 and not entirely like fully sure of yourself yeah. and like who you are as a person and stuff and it would have been an awkward situation for her he would have made her feel uncomfortable so she probably would have she didn't really it, want to go yeah, let's she would have it. wanted to avoid the situation but she's yeah. gone you know what meet me at the church we'll have a chat yeah and in a church a place of forgiveness and yes you know openness and and solitude i don't know when elisa didn't return home her family reported her missing to the police Former Detective Superintendent Phil James knows what happens next. A number of inquiries were made to find her. She was never found and she was considered a missing person. However, there were a number of complications or issues which the Italian police were not overly concerned about following up. We know, for example, that sometime after Elisa went missing, she supposedly sent an email 
to her family saying, hi, I've left the country, I'm not here any longer, don't worry about me, I'm having a new life, everything's wonderful, uh, and just forget about me. A number of inquiries were made in relation to that, and that email wasn't sent from abroad, it was sent from an internet cafe in Potenza, and it was sent at a time when Restivo was in that internet cafe. Fuck's sake! <laughs> It's not funny. The whole situation is not funny. But, like, there's stupidity. Every fucking time. There's just this one thing that, like, ah, oh, if they'd have just looked up this fucking email, like, that's a suspicious fucking email, isn't it? Oh, don't worry about me. I'm definitely fine. I'm definitely not dead. Like, no, who said I'm dead? Nobody, nobody said I'm dead. I'm not dead. I've just gone away at the age of 16 to start a new life by myself. Like, no 16-year-old's going to run off by herself. Like, it would have been more believable if she'd been like, I've met a, girl, I've met a boy and I've run off. Don't yeah. worry about me ever again. Yeah. A, for starters, Danilo, do bear. But also, there's a fucking suspicious email. Why wouldn't, you, why wouldn't you follow that up? No, but I'm just laughing at the fact that he thought he could send an email <laughs> saying that I'm fine and then he'd be out of... He'd be out... Well, it worked. <laughs> no, I know, but like, it's it's like other cases that we've come across before. Like, I'm going to write a letter in her handwriting saying, I'm dead, I'm not dead, I'm fine. Don't come and find me. Yeah. <laughs> like that, um, oh, hang on. Who was it? That- it, it the Ing one, no, was it the the one where... Um, no, it was. It, it was, was um, uh, it, Leonard... They... they um, Charles Ing and left her job. Yeah. And they were like, oh, we don't worry about me. <laughs> it's just that... Um, yeah, this is a great idea. This will get me out of the out of trouble. And you know, he's like, it's an email, so they can't even trace the handwriting. <laughs> but they can trace the IP the, address. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Okay. So, right, there's already been a massive failure that could have potentially saved. And, I'm like, and okay. also uh, an, an idiot move on his part that he thought that that would be believable. But anyway, so during the investigation, police missed vital information that could have really quickly pointed them to Danilo. He had a history of... This is so fucking weird. He had a history of taking young girls behind the curtain at the church on the on the first floor. What? Yeah. What? I know. And he had a hand injury around the same time of Elisa's disappearance and none of this was even looked at by the Italian police. In fact, Danilo had a long history of questionable interactions with women... Everyone in town knew about how weird he was. So here's Liz. He approaches them and when they reject him, he turns on them essentially and he calls them and he plays the theme tune of his favourite film, Profondo Rosso, which is quite scary, quite intimidating music. And this is this is a really odd thing to be doing. But what he's trying to do is trying to instill fear in these girls. He's trying to say, oh, well, you've rejected me, so I'm now going to play a bit of a game with you. And I think that really does just tell us about his underlying psychopathy. He's somebody who likes playing with people. So you've rejected him and he calls you and this is what you hear. Right. That sounds like The Exorcist, not The Exorcist. Yeah, it does. The video is already, like, this is fucking creepy. So it's by a band, an Italian band called Goblin. Cool. And Profondo Rosso. Wow. Woo! Heck. I quite like it. Okay, so um, I don't even know if that was the most intense part. This is is three minutes long. 
That reminds me of the Exorcist theme tune. Well, it's funny you should say that because I'm just looking here. Deep Red, or in Italian, Profondo Rosso, Mm -hmm. also known as the Hatchet Murders, is a 1975 Italian giallo horror film. It was a ho- his favorite film was a horror film. Okay, so he's ringing girls up. So you that's fucking creepy <laughs> and weird. So basic, he's being a fucking weirdo. Yeah, he's got some serious rejection issues, and he's also uh, takes things quite too far. But without a body or any evidence she'd been murdered, Elisa Claps was labelled a missing person. But Elisa wasn't missing. She actually had never left the town. In fact. When Elisa rejected his romantic advances, Danilo killed her and hid her body in the walls of the church. No, I was afraid you were going to say that. And this is even more messed up. Lots of people in the town had their suspicions about Danilo as he was the last person to see her alive. Oh, well, yeah, you would, wouldn't you? But as his family were important in the local community, many people believed his family's connections to the police and authorities allowed him to remain uncharged. Why does a library man have connections to the police and authorities? I'm baffled by this. <laughs> Detective Phil James knows more about the hierarchy in the community. Oh, good. In Italy, certain positions within a town are considered uh, high-powered and influential, and Restivo's father was the chief librarian. And in Italy, the chief librarian is a significant and powerful individual. That's weird, isn't it? Because here, librarian... Nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, librarian. I love all... I actually love libraries. But it's that stereotype, isn't it? It's like, if you're a librarian, it's like, fuddy-duddy. Ooh, cardigans. I love my books. Shh, be quiet. (laughs) With my really big glasses. Yeah, that's chunky knitwear. Yeah. Which, as we know, is not true, and we're not gonna, we not, we don't say that that is the case. Also, I would love to work in a library. Yeah, like it, it just seems baffling that a chief librarian would be like, you know, so high powered. Yo, <laughs> I'm the library. I'm power. I am the library. I am library. I will, sil- <laughs> I will silence you. Yeah. <laughs> You'll never speak again. Show me your codex. <laughs> Danilo thought he might have gotten away with murder, but Elisa's family never gave up. With the town suspecting him, Danilo was unable to continue his usual harassment of women. So in 2002, he turned 30 and decided to start over in Bournemouth, a place where no one knew his awful history. Soon after settling here in the UK, Danilo met an Italian woman on the internet and quickly moved in with her. It's not what you think, though. She was an older woman with a disability and she was more like a mother figure to him and she treated him as if he was her son. So oh. she she looked after him, she cooked for him, she cleaned for him and Ugh. I don't really know what she was getting out of the deal here but I th- he was definitely being mummied by this woman. And to be, to be quite honest, when I think about him, like when I look at pictures of him, he does look like a giant baby, like... Oh, I've not got my own way because this girl doesn't want to go out of me. So I'm going to be like really fucking weird and a creepazoid about it. And I'm going to get this other woman to mummy me and look after me. Like I have no responsibilities. Like, I don't know. I just get this ick from him, obviously. But like, yeah, at this point in the story already, I've got this ick. 
No, like, who is this guy? Yeah, and the fact that he is, he's moved to another country for a fresh start and is just immediately... Just because he wants to continue to be a creep. Like, yeah, and is just immediately being sort of pandered to or licked after. Yeah, it's, it's just annoying. Yeah, it is. It's gross. Danilo's new home was just across the street from 48-year-old seamstress Heather Barnett. And just six months after moving in, he went to visit Heather, claiming he was interested in having her make some curtains for him as a present for his partner. But Danilo wasn't interested in curtains. He had identified Heather as his next victim. But why? And on November 12th, 2002, he paid his neighbour another visit. They'd gone through to uh, the back of the property, which was her room for doing her sewing and seamstress-type work. And from there, it appears that she tried to make an escape from the individual. Things were knocked over. She'd moved through into the lounge where he'd obviously caught hold of her and he'd hit her several times with a hammer. Uh, Her skull was fractured and she would have been dead in the lounge very shortly afterwards. Uh, from that point, she was dragged through the lounge, through the hallway and into a bathroom. Danilo had brutally murdered Heather in her own home. But Danilo's cruelty didn't end there. He had cut off her breasts and placed them behind her head. Ugh. He'd also mutilated her quite badly and he'd planned what he was going to do in detail. Police also find another detail, one they hoped would help lead them to the killer in heather's left hand was a lock of her own hair and in the right a lock of hair that wasn't hers or danilo's Eh? yeah whoa well many people would describe restivo as a trichophile he's got an obsession with hair paraphilia is a a sexual attraction towards an inanimate object or a non-consenting party because when you cut somebody's hair and you you take a piece of that hair you're taking part of them and it's making you feel quite powerful but this is really odd behavior it's incredibly abnormal behavior when police finally arrive at the house they were greeted by danilo and his partner who were looking after Heather's two young children. Well, the children discovered their mother's body, and and not only that, but Restivo was one of the the first people on the scene and and appeared to be comforting them. But this isn't particularly surprising to me. When you have an offender like Restivo, he's quite proud of what what he's done. So it's, it's not enough for him to mutilate his victim's body. He wants to see the impact of his actions on the people around the victim. Uh, and that is enhancing his enjoyment and enhancing his, his sense of, of power over these people. Since he was at the scene, police took a statement from Danilo. He explained to the police that he had been out all day, then he'd gone back home to find Heather's children outside of the house. But Danilo's alibi wasn't strong enough. It was odd that Danilo was at the scene and the police still wanted to investigate. Danilo told the police about the curtains he'd ordered which would later explain how he'd gotten access to the inside of Heather's house. And when police searched Heather's house, they found plenty of evidence. There was blood all over the place, and the trainers that Danilo had worn had left bloody footprints all over the house. But, unfortunately for the police, Danilo knew what he was doing and knew what evidence he might be leaving, which I find quite interesting considering he thought that sending an email... (laughs) From an internet cafe. Oh, he's a different man now. He's <laughs> yeah. in Bournemouth. Yeah. Like, he's grown. 
He's been watching his CSI. Is it not a bit weird, though? Like, why is he there comforting the children? Like, he only ordered a pair of curtains. You know what I mean? Like, that's not... You're not a family friend. No. That's weird. Why is that not being struck as weird? Yeah, I mean, I don't know the people that live opposite me. No, like, it's not like he's a direct next door. No, unless they were... I could understand if they were always around each other's house, like, they had a close connection. Like, how... Uh, my my neighbour two doors down, I see her quite a lot. Yeah. You know, I... I, I, I say hello to her. You say yeah. hello to her. <laughs> yeah. You do. So it is a bit unusual. And I don't know if the kids were giving off, like, who's this guy vibes. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. That's, that's weird to me. I don't. I, I feel like that should be struck as weird. Yeah. So he changed his clothes, changed his gloves, and used bleach to get rid of any incriminating bloodstains. He was so well prepared that the police were unable to connect anything with Danilo. But there was one bit of evidence they found that gave them a glimmer of hope of tying Danilo to the crime scene. A green towel found by the front door of Heather's house. Here's Phil James. We considered that the murderer had stopped, taken off his training shoes. Bizarrely, there was a chair and there was a green towel on it. That green towel had uh, blood on it, but we always believed that that green towel was alien to that house. Our belief was that that wasn't their towel and that it had been brought there by the killer. That towel was a constant main line of inquiry in order to try and identify the killer by his DNA. We knew that Heather's blood was on that towel, but there was a mixed profile in that blood, so it meant to say there was the profile of of at least two individuals. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. What is weird, though, like, um, you know, back in Italy, and they're like, oh, we've got this email from the victim, and there he was, and she was seen last seen with a guy who's known to be creepy and weird, but we're not going to really follow any of that up. But the British police are like, this fucking towel, man. <laughs> yeah. It's the can of salmon again. No, I know. <laughs> oh, a towel. I bet this towel has something <laughs> to do with it. The towel has the answers. Oh. <laughs> Despite their suspicions, police were not able to match the foreign DNA to Danilo. He had seemingly got away with murder for a second time. However... Detective Phil James knew they had their man. He knew. Good. The police had Danilo in their sights as their prime suspect and they were going to do as much as they could to gather enough evidence to charge him. I love that they're so determined they will stop at nothing to prove it's him. As they dug further, cracks started to appear in Danilo's story. His alibi had at first seemed to be rock solid, but on further investigation, what he told them just wasn't adding up. He had gone to a place for unemployed people to learn computer skills uh, and the signing in register showed that he'd signed in at a specific time. But when we looked at it again, the entry had been altered. It had been written over. So it said one time and it also said another time. So it then indicated that perhaps that alibi wasn't as good as first thought. Wait, so so say that again. (laughs) So I think what he'd done is he'd signed in at 12 maybe like after after it all kicked off and then he'd gone back to pay, make to it look like it. a zero so it looks like he would have been busy during the time of the murder which is so stupid he might as well have just got tipex out <laughs> he probably would have done better with tipex <laughs> right. when detectives began to dig into his past 
in Italy, their suspicions only grew stronger. It was about six months into that inquiry when uh, one of the detectives working on the case came into my office and said, boss, I need to speak to you. I've done a lot of research on the internet and we've managed to find details of a girl who went missing in Potenza in 1993 and there is a link to Daniello Restivo. Uh, soon after we started making inquiries about Elisa's death. But Elisa's case was still a missing persons case as still her body had not been found. No! Mm-hmm. And there's all these people just going to church and she's right there. In the walls. No! Also, how do you hide someone in a wall? I don't know. Well, you think they're in a church they're like people... stone, aren't they? Yeah, so... people go there like a lot. But it, maybe they went to the second floor behind the curtain, I don't know. Maybe he took her to a place which he knew was a hiding place. Maybe he found, like, a stone that he could move out the way and hide him, hide them in a secret cavern in the walls. I would think it maybe it would start to smell bad. Well, that's just it. It must be somewhere where the air can't escape or whatever. I so bet they're well big the bricks. I bet he got a big brick out. A big, big stone. It would stone. have to be a big fucking brick, Helen, to, like, for, to put a person behind it. I'm, I'm picturing... Okay, like, you know in a church... He's just one man. How's he lifting this giant brick? I don't know, but I'm thinking he's pulled something out and he's pushed her in there and he's pushed the brick back. It's going to have to be a big brick. Maybe he's quite strong. He was a big boy. Yeah, but also he'd have had to do it, probably had to do it quite quickly because it's a church. People go there all the time. Well, not in the middle of the day. Churches don't close, do no, they? No, I know, but like people don't really go to church in the middle of the day. Um, you know, but, but there's you know. always going to be the risk of somebody being around. Surely there'd be like a priest kicking around. Yeah. They work there, don't they? Someone doing candles. Yeah, I guess organ cleaning. Yeah, like it's a pretty in and out. But churches are big, though. You don't know how big it is, no, this You don't church. know that. Well, we don't know that. It might be big. It might be small. But wall aside, the police in the UK are still convinced that there's something dodgy about Danilo, right? And they are thinking that he is a danger to society. So they decide to put him under surveillance. Then, finally in May, that same year, investigators got a potential break in the case. Here's Detective Phil and Liz. We followed uh, Restivo for quite a while and there was one specific incident that... It still now chills me to think about it. He went down to an area called Throop, the edge of Bournemouth on the countryside, and on the morning in question, Restivo went down there. There were about half a dozen ladies on their own walking their dogs in this isolated area, and Restivo buried himself in a bush and was clearly watching these individuals. Everywhere he went and the risk that he presented we're always concerned, is today a day where he's going to kill another Heather Barnett? Is he walking around with a knife in his bag today? Well, when we look at Restivo's behaviour when he's under surveillance, this is the height of summer. Um, he's walking around with gloves on, he's got his hood up, um, he, he's got waterproof trousers on, he's filmed changing his clothes, and the police see that he's observing women from a distance as well. He's very clearly out hunting for women. I arranged for two uniform officers to go down, check him out. Mr. Restivo was wearing two sets of clothing. He had one set of clothing and then he had another set on top and a nylon waterproof jacket, 
So very similar to Heather's murder where he's got, he's took two sets of clothing with him and changed into one. He's down there in the same. Afraid that he was getting ready to kill again, police stopped Danilo and searched his bag. In it, they found gloves, a filleting knife and other materials that made the investigators very suspicious. But Danilo had an answer for everything, saying he was wearing two sets of clothes because he wanted to lose weight and it would help him sweat. And he only had a knife in his bag because he just bought it and he forgot to take it home. <laughs> it's not original, is he? No. Like, I mean, But actually, the most mundane lie is probably going to be the most believable. Oh, well, yeah, I just bought it. Like, There's a new knife. It's- Forgot it was in my bag. But I mean, but like... He's like, he would have been the kid that said, my dog ate my homework. (laughs) My God. But Um, like, that's really murdery. Yeah. That that, that whole package, you look like a serial killer. This is pretty murdery. (laughs) This is pretty murdery. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just just fat and and lazy. (laughs) Apparently (laughs) forgetful. I bought the knife. It's just been in the bag for ages. Where's the price tag? Where's the like the little bit of cardboard that the knife comes on? Exactly. Where's the receipt for the knife? Did he buy it secondhand? I don't know. Can you buy secondhand knives? Probably. They were all rubbish excuses. But according to law, it wasn't enough to actually arrest him. Police still needed more evidence and they were running out of time. So they went back to the beginning. There was still one clue from the crime scene that was unaccounted for. The mystery hair found in Heather's hand. Ooh. I'm so intrigued by this. Police thought the suspect may have cut it from a stranger to throw them off. So they turned to the public for some information. Appeals were sent out in the UK and in Danilo's home of Potenza to find out if anyone had any information about a man cutting strangers' hair. Are you missing some hair? <laughs> Are you missing hair? You might have been almost murdered. Get in touch on this number. Women were calling in to say that he had cut their hair when they were sat like in the cinema, (gasps) when they were sat in front of him on the bus. He was like well known for cutting chunks off people's hair in the community. Oh my God. Imagine just sitting there in the cinema and then it's like, what? Yeah. Apparently one woman went into the hairdressers and they said to her, you do realise you've got a big chunk of hair missing out of the back. Fuck off. That is so frightening. I know. How annoyed would you be? Oh, my God. I'd be beyond livid, especially because, like, with my hair, if somebody cut a chunk off it, it's just going to go ping, like, right, right up there. That, that curl is just going to go mad. But also, like, fuck off. What a violation. Yeah. Oh, that's that's quite shocking. I am shooketh. Criminal psychologist Dr. David Holmes knows why he did this. Restivo actually developed a paraphilia um, for hair. This may have been some originating um, situation where he felt, you know, sexually excited, etc., over um, contact with hair. His victims had their hair cut, um, often from behind. He, He wasn't in the social world. He was in a very focused, obsessive world. In June 2004, police brought Danilo in for questioning again. This time, they made a point to focus on his hair-cutting habit. 
and brought in women who had been victims of it to identify him. We put Daniela Restivo on an identification parade and in two instances those women picked Daniela Restivo out as the man who had sat behind them on a local bus, cut their hair and then got off the bus. So we always knew he had a hair fetish. We knew that he'd brought alien head hair into the murder scene and left it in uh, Heather's hand. Restivo said that, that when he held these women's hair in his hand, he said everything is, is visible and, and that he could see everything. It's making him realise I can, can take a piece of these women and I can possess them. He's got a real kind of a grandiose sense of himself, a real kind of elevated sense of his own power here. What lies behind Restivo's motivation to kill and, and mutilate women is uh, a sense of power. So he does so in the, the most extreme way, in, in killing them and mutilating them and, and using their hair as, as something that he has that's part of them. I'm, no, I, I'm really going to struggle to get over this, the hair thing. Because mm -hmm. like, there's so many questions. Did they know at the time, like, snip, that man behind me has just cut my hair? Because... A, in that situation, what do you do? I think the the rage in me would overtake and I'd turn around and be like, did you just fucking cut my hair? How the fuck? Do you? And I would I would fly yeah, and I would be removed from the bus because I'd be an aggressive woman with a shit bit of hair at the back. But um, like also then I think the other, the other extreme would be to freeze. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, he's, he's just fucking cut my hair. Like shit, shit. Like A, he's got scissors. That's a weapon. But B, he's just really violated my person. He's, he's cut my hair and would you just sit there and be like oh god and sort of like and miss your stop or or, or get off at the next stop or just hope that I, I don't know that 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 in itself is a whole thing yep and then b knowing or finding out the man who's cut the stranger who's cut your hair is a murderer and you have potentially just escaped or got on his list he's got your hair c it's a it's a sexual thing. Yep. Like it's worse knowing that it's like, violation just, like, on violation on violation. Just, isn't it? Is he like touching himself while oh. he's touching your hair? Like is he wanking with the hair? Like what? Like I don't. What? I'm sorry. There's a lot to unpack here. Well, it's just it's just I think just generally speaking, cutting someone's hair without the consent is quite it's a, fucking horrible. It's a, it's it's it's, it's an indignified thing to do. It's a humiliation. And it's humiliation. Yeah. Humiliation, isn't it? And I think like it's so strange. Like I know hair is it's just hair on your head, but it's so it's so integral for our who we are as yeah like people our identity. My hair is such a big part of my yeah. like, sense of identity as well. Same, and I've I've. You know, well, you know, my your career, my started. career started because of my hair, and it's yeah. And I think losing your hair when without control is, I mean, it's a horrible. Aspect, like people that have alopecia or ever other condition, yeah, like, other conditions yeah. where they lose their hair, like oh my god, it's so damaging for their kind of overall. It's a journey you have to go on yeah, to come to accept that. I know it's and it seems so stupid, not stupid, but you know you could think of it like, oh, well, it's only hair. But until it happens to you, 
Like it is such a, it is a huge yeah. factor. As well, I am we losing, are. Like, I am losing my hair. My hairline is receding. That's a really? that's a genetic thing. Yeah, oh like my mum. It's happened to my mum. My 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 auntie has alopecia. Like she's lost most of her hair. Really, like from her eyelashes, eyebrows, and then her her hairline actually starts like over halfway back her head wow. now. And um, yeah, like my grandmum's hair is like really thin, but like, and it's something it terrifies me. Yeah. The thought of like losing my hair and losing that part of my identity and having to restructure part of my identity it sounds really vain no it's not but like and having to yeah having to restructure yourself sort of around that if someone was to take that journey or take that sort of away from me Mm -hmm. you've taken my hair yeah like that's a whole it's it's horribly violating I'm just I think that's why I can't get over it like it's, 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 it's like taking it's, it's stealing a part of you yeah like someone and it's, has taken my hair and they've gone off with it that's also, my yeah my hair also the fucking audacity of the man to just sit there and be like snip that's mine now i know it's baffling it's that's mind-boggling and i know he's horribly mutilated a woman and he's hidden another girl in a church but like the, just the audacity or the sheer audacity well he's done it loads of times yeah all these mad. reports are coming that's, out like that is mad why is that not news? Like that's the, that's something I just, fuck you know like oh local cat has a sit down see those shit stories everywhere like several women have had their hair cut in public spaces without their consent that's fucking news where's the like yeah you know, why is that not on oh my god despite multiple women identifying Dinalo this was still all just circumstantial evidence and it wasn't going to be enough to actually convict him so once again he was released. To prove him guilty, the police needed to connect Danilo directly to the crime scene. But their hopes went back to the blood-covered green towel found in Heather's home. But technology was holding them back. Scientists didn't know how to separate the DNA they were finding on the towel. It was almost four years before they had the technology that they needed. In 2008, they re-examined the towel. It had two different types of DNA on it but they had never been able to identify the second person until now. Then in 2008, we find that magic solution and it's that final bit of that jigsaw where scientists say, look, we can now separate out those two bits of DNA. We can now separate Heather's out and we can identify whose DNA that is. And that DNA of that separated out from that towel belongs to Daniello Restivo. That's so good. Like, technology, man. I know. Oh, my God. But it, it's bad, though. It took so long. Well, the technology didn't exist Well, I know before. it didn't exist, but it's just annoying that... At least it happened. Yeah. That's cool. And also, the fact that that technology exists and they're like, okay, now we can sort out this piece of evidence rather than being like, you know, that's just been shoved away in a box because they couldn't do anything with it. I wonder how smug they felt when they found out. Fuck I bet yeah. they were like, we got him! Yeah. And I bet they banged their hands on their fists. Yeah. And then they went to the pub and had pints. We got him! Yeah, but I'd hope they waited until after they'd actually like physically got him for the pints. Uh, yeah. But then I would drink several pints <laughs> of victory. <laughs> then, in March 2010, something remarkable happened. Elisa Claps's body was discovered... Here's criminal barrister Michael Bowes. At the stage when Restivo was first charged, Elisa Clapp's body had not in fact been found, and so we proceeded purely on the UK evidence. However, on the 17th of March 2010, 
Elisa's body was discovered in the loft in the church in Potenza, where it in fact it had been since she disappeared on the 12th of September 1993. When Elisa's body was found in the church that Daniello and Elisa had met outside of and had been in, it was decided that myself and another officer would immediately fly over to Italy to try and work with the Italian police because we wanted to look at the similarities between the murder scene of Elisa and our murder scene because, as far as we were concerned, Daniela Restivo had murdered both individuals. We were allowed to go down to Salerno, which is the main city near Potenza. We were allowed to see the videos and we were allowed to speak to some of the scientists. And lo and behold, there were things like hair in Elisa's hand, the same as there were in, in, in Heather's case, and it started to make a bit more sense. My God! Because like the hair won't, hair won't, it won't um, decompose. De- decompose. So she also had hair in her hand. So they were like, oh "There it is. There's the connection." She was in the loft walls. That makes more sense. It does make more sense, doesn't okay. it? Yeah. Although UK police could not charge Danilo with the murder of Elisa Claps, connecting him to her murder solidified their case in relation to the murder of Heather Barnett. And finally, in May. 2011, Restivo was charged with the murder of Heather Barnett. It had been a long and hard battle, but in the end, the murder Danilo had committed in 1993 and thought he'd got away with was the deciding factor when he faced judge and jury. My goodness. He had always thought he was cleverer than everybody else, but now that didn't matter. He wasn't cleverer than everybody else. He wasn't cleverer than us. We had beaten him and we'd solved the case. And because the evidence was so powerful and overwhelming, it did make him look like an idiot in terms of some of his responses. Whereas before, he could show that bluster and he could say, it's not me. Well, when he said that now, it was meaningless because the evidence was overwhelming and it did prove it was him. The jury retired and returned the verdict on the same day and thereafter Restivo was sentenced. There is, of course, satisfaction that justice has been done, but I think really an overwhelming feeling of sadness that two people had died wholly unnecessarily to satisfy his lust for killing. In June 2011, Danilo was found guilty for the murder of Heather Barnett and in November of the same year, a court in Salerno, Italy, found him guilty of the murder of 16-year-old Elisa Claps. He was given a whole life sentence without the possibility of parole. Incredibly, Danilo later appealed the charge made by the UK courts and the courts ruled to change his conviction to a life sentence with a minimum of 40 years. I mean, it's still a, a long sentence. Yeah. But, like... Yeah, well, like, what's the point? You're going to get out at 70 and then what are you going to do? Cut some more hair. Fucking. 
Heather Barnett was a, a local woman in Bournemouth. She was a, a mother to two children. And, and that's one of the things that I find quite annoying about cases like Restivo. When you've got such a, a grotesque and such a, a unique murderer, there's a tendency to forget the victims and, and they become known as, as the victims of Restivo. These two women, Elisa and Heather, were individuals in their own right. They, they had lives, they had families, they had futures, and, and that was callously taken away by Restivo. With someone like Restivo, with that very specific MO, with two cases so far apart and so similar, there has to be more. We need to look very carefully into the past of Danilo Restivo because he must have struck elsewhere. I did have that thought, I know, because like the way with Heather, the the brutality, the the intricacy of it, and also the the planning, yeah, the planning aspect of it, it seems well practiced, doesn't it? It seems like that that was his last. It was so close to home, literally across the road. Yeah, like I feel like that was there is a trail, and that's the last stop. But also, like, between... Where are they? Between Heather and him being convicted was a long time. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's a miracle he didn't strike again. Is that because he knew he was under surveillance? Or is it because they missed it? Perhaps. Like, I just he obviously, they they caught him trying. Yep. I, I, it's, there's got to be others out there, hasn't there? There's no way. For, like... Between the two, between Elisa and Heather as well. Because, like, that's quite a jump. He had the hair in her hands. That's, mm -hmm. you know, how it started. But I guess maybe there wasn't enough evidence to know whether Elisa was intact or not. Yeah. Or, um, but they, they probably would be able to tell that. But, yeah, to, like, what he did to Heather, the brutality behind it, there was no... That, that's a massive escalation. Yeah, totally. Like, there, for seemingly no reason as well. Like, I think that's, yeah, I feel like this one, this isn't over. I feel, yeah, it's a dot, dot, dot. I feel like maybe in a few years' time, there might be more evidence or some more things to come out. Or maybe he's just biding his time to be like, oh, yeah, by the way, guys, like, have you looked in this part of this park or Yeah. Whatever? Like, um, there might be a part two. Yeah, Ooh. like it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense, does no. it, for them to be so far away? And also for like, why did he pick Heather? Yeah. Um, why then? Why so far in between? Like, it's just there's a, a lot of this actually doesn't make a lot of sense because they'll say, why? Yeah, just why? How did it escalate so quickly? I know. Or not so quickly. It wasn't quick at all. It, that's the opposite. It's all, oh, there's a lot. This is juicy. Um, Do you feel. I like what Liz said you like, about the victim. Sorry, say that again. I like what Liz said about. Um, sort of the focus in these in the sort of the more sort of horrific and gruesome murders the 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 they just become sort of a victim and actually I think I agree with her and I think perhaps it like I know I I was so caught up in what he was doing and what he was about mm. like her poor children had to wait so long for any kind of closure yeah or like knowing that uh, they had to grow up essentially knowing that whoever did that to their mum was still out there also having the mental image of what they found when they came home from school. 
I don't know how you get over that. I don't know. Probably it, not. It's, it must be such a difficult journey. And I hope that wherever they are now, yeah, that they've managed to find some peace. Yeah. But, oh, um, bless that. It's a horrible thought. It's fucking horrific. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's no way that it's only two with that kind of method. Of all that hair that he's been lobbing off as well. Where's maybe, he been putting maybe it? that was just sort of like biding his time. Maybe that was yeah, enough to satisfy him. him over. I don't know. Oh. Next time on Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We're going back in time to look at the mysterious crimes of Lord Lucan. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of Devils in the Dark. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please do check out the description for lots of helpful resources. Special thanks goes to Woodcut Media and our wonderful producers at Audio Boom Studios. <laughs>